Good morning and welcome to Inside Maine on these beautiful, warm fall days. It's hard to talk about climate change and sea level rise and ice sheets melting, but indeed that's going to be our subject today. Uh, About a month ago, I spent uh, three days in Greenland uh, with the Coast Guard and also with two scientists looking at really two subjects. One was uh, Greenland, which is in many ways ground zero of climate change and the effects of climate change. And uh, secondly, we looked at national security issues with the Coast Guard and the Danish, uh, I think it's called the Joint Arctic Command, uh, involving what's going on in the Arctic Ocean, the melting of the ice, uh, the Russians uh, doing a lot of work up there. And uh, so it was a combination of science and uh, national security. Our first guest today is a guy who actually uh, spends a good part of his time in Maine in Weld, which is up near Farmington, Dr. Bob Carell. And I could spend the next 15 minutes listing his credentials. I think the two that struck me were that he has advised every president since Ronald Reagan on scientific matters, uh, particularly involving uh, the ocean and and climate. Um, He also has a a peninsula named for him in Antarctica. How many of us can say that we have a geographic uh, feature named after us? But uh, Bob can do that. Uh, Bob, thanks for joining us, and thanks for joining me on the on the trip to Greenland. Well, it's a pl- privilege to be there, and greetings to all from Maine. Well, let me uh, let me let me g- have you give a sort of abbreviated uh, version of of what we saw, uh, particularly that first day when we went out over over the ice sheet, and and I think it's important for the context uh, for our listeners to know that if and when the Greenland ice sheet melts. We're talking about 24 feet of sea level rise. Now, that's not going to happen anytime soon, but that just gives you an idea of how much water is locked up in that big hunk of ice uh, on the continent of Greenland. Uh, Bob, what, what, do you, what do you see that's worrying you up there? Well, as you know, we had the opportunity to be up on the ice sheet itself and see firsthand the melting that's going on. What I think is really remarkable is that since 2000, that's only, you know, 15, 16 years ago, the face of the glacier has moved back an amount which took 10 times as much time for that to happen since 1850. So there's a very rapid rate at which these icebergs are forming. And those icebergs, once they drop into the water, of course, it's like an ice cube into your drink, the water level rises, and that's one of the most important parts of sea level. And this is important to our nation, but it's really important to Maine, the sea level issue. The projection for this century, uh, we will see something of the order of six or seven feet of sea level rise or more sometime during this century. Wait a minute. That's that's an amazing number. I mean, I want to stop you there for a minute. Six or seven feet of sea level rise, for example, would put a good deal of the old port in Portland underwater or close to it at a high tide. That's correct, and not only that, Senator, that's the global average. We here in Maine are seeing sea level rising about 50% higher than that. So one way to think about this is that we're going to see one or two feet of sea level rise every generation. So, you know, with our grandkids become our age and they look back, they're going to see many feet of sea level rise here in Maine, and there are places that are going to go underwater. Uh, and so our task And one of the things that was amazing to me that we did have a chance to talk to the Joint Command 
that they're beginning to plan, beginning to say, you know, we got to be prepared for that because these realities are here now and they're coming. And one thing about sea level, as soon as you raise the temperature of the planet, which we have done quite quite well with our fossil fuels and other other natural mechanisms, but a minute that's happened, the ice is going to melt. And the only way to stop it is to put the whole planet in the refrigerator and cool it off. Well, that's not going to happen, certainly not on any time scale we know. We don't see any ice age coming for 30, 40, 50,000 years. Uh, if it, even if at that, so we're going to see sea level rise over many, many hundreds of years. So I, I think that's an important point because what you're saying and and what we talked about in Greenland is there's no stopping this. This isn't uh, maybe and it might happen and uh, you know a lot of speculation. This is this is uh, this is going to happen. And even if we take uh, strong action to diminish our use of fossil fuels, lower CO2 emission into the atmosphere, we've already reached a kind of tipping point on this uh, warming that is going to uh, increase the sea level. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. And uh, we've already raised the temperature on the planet globally more than has been raised in the last 10,000 years. And that's when we humans uh, have sort of taken over the planet after the last ice age. And we've had a really stable climate, less than seven-tenths of a degree. We're well over a degree now, and it looks uh, like we'll see two or three degrees over this coming century. And when you make that global average, it's going to mean that these ice patches that we have in Greenland and Antarctica are just going to pour more and more water into the ocean, causing that sea level to rise. I mentioned that the Greenland has over 20 feet of sea level rise. Antarctica is over 200 feet of sea level rise if it starts to melt, which apparently is happening. Yes, indeed. Uh, the balance in Antarctica has now been that it's, there's a net loss. There is more ice forming on the eastern part, but the western part is uh, melting much more rapidly and overtaking anything that might have been added by uh, snowstorms in the dead of winter. The sea level is really our, our really critical point. Well, I, I think one of the things I learned from you guys that really I hadn't focused on, we, we all think the ocean is what it is. I mean, it, it's, it's where it's been for hundreds of years, and, you know, the, the surf at Reed State Park or in Portland or at Cutler or wherever along the main coast is, is the same. But it hasn't... As recently as 15,000 years ago, which is, you know, a little bit before the pyramids, but it's, it's not a million years ago, the water in Casco Bay was almost 300 feet shallower than it is now because of the water that was tied up in the glaciers. And that, that shocked me. I, I talked to a scientist the other day. They found tree stumps and mastodon teeth in George's Banks off of the coast of Maine a couple of hundred miles. And as the fellow said, mastodons couldn't swim that well. <laughs> that was dry land. Yep, absolutely right. That whole continental shelf was above water. And the Gulf of Maine was a, was a kind of giant lake. Indeed, no doubt about it. And, and it really transforms the whole topography. What we're facing now is that we're going to lose coastal land as the sea rises. In places where we got these, um, where there's low land, the sea will rise and move in about, oh, 300 uh, or, or more feet for every foot of sea level rise. 
and in some places it'll be 3,000 feet, depending on on the topography and how how slope is very very long. And some of these beautiful places, like uh, in national parks and stuff, are just going to be underwater. Scarborough so Marsh comes to mind. Yeah, exactly. These marshlands are the ones that are going to hit first. And the tragedy is they're not only important places, but these are the nurseries of much of what takes place in the ocean. Um, and those are those are going to affect our fishery. Well, so it's not only sea level, but it's going to have some other side effects that will directly affect our economy. So I, this is really important stuff for me. Well, I'm going to be talking in a few minutes to a guy named Bill DeLong from the Department of Homeland Security who's based in Maine, who's whose job it is to think about what we have to do to cope with this because uh, we can we, – and I, I think it's important to continue to try to control fossil fuel burning and CO2 so that we can slow this and make it not so catastrophic. But we also need to start thinking about adaptation. Where do we build seawalls? What do we do uh, on, you know, on the – coastal waterfront, or I'm on the Armed Services Committee, the military, the Navy particularly is very worried because all of their naval bases all over the world uh, are at risk, uh, given uh, even a foot of sea level rise uh, could make a real difference. As you know, major study was done on that figure, and there's something like 1,700 such uh, U.S. military installations around the coast. And just for the Coast Guard, um, they have 200 bases, all of which will have to be um, worrying about uh, sea level. Some are going to have to do it tomorrow, and others can wait a while, depending on the topography of where they are. And that was why it's so important to have the commandant with us, and he could then help us think about this reality that he faces in maintaining a robust uh, coastal service. Well, let me let me put you on the spot a minute. I mean, I'm sure, sure some of our listeners are saying, "Look, this is just a liberal plot, and it's Al Gore, and it's all a hoax." And it, you know, we had a lot of snow two winters ago. Uh, you've been looking at this issue for 30 plus years. Is it real? And do have you seen changes over the course of your scientific career that that have confirmed your concerns about this? And I guess the second part of the question is: Is it accelerating? Yeah, I appreciate the question, Senator. I, as you know, I have really been at this for about 40 years of trips to Greenland, and what make Greenland is sort of a poster child for us because we see things there more rapidly than we see it at lower latitudes. Uh, in the scientific community, we have tried to figure out any other way that the temperature of the atmosphere could have been rising the way it is. And there's, there's just no other way to explain that than the fossil fuels. As you know very well, if you plot CO2, plot temperature, sea level rise, say for four or 500,000 years, they're, they're like a music set. They're all in sync, one with the other. You know it better than most. And so we do know from the facts of life that when... Um, Sea level goes up, temperature. I mean, CO two goes up, temperature will rise, and sea level will will follow. And, and we're at button. a we're at a CO two level now that hasn't been seen in some well, millions of years. Yeah, we're way above what we're above four hundred parts per million. That's just that's kind of like having your measure of your economy. We need a number, and it's called parts per million of CO two. For at least a million years, it's never exceeded 270 parts 
So we're already 130 parts bigger than we have seen in, in certainly a million years because we actually have scientific fact. We can also look at some other um, ways of identifying that, like sediments in the deep ocean. And so it's probably of the order of two or three million years uh, that we've had nothing of this level. Now, some will tell you that way back, you know, uh, 250 million years ago, where the planet was, was had a lot of CO2 in the atmosphere, blah blah. And yes, in fact, the planet got a lot warmer, and that's a confirming fact. Those are natural processes, and they're all governed by the relationship of the Earth to the Sun. And right now, we are moving away from the Sun over the next hundred thousand years. So it sh we should be going into a cold period. We should be going into a colder period. In fact, if you kind of look at the data, you'll see a slow downward trend until about 1950, and then it goes north. It goes up from there on, and it's never gone back down. And, and the reason is that there was enough CO2 in the atmosphere to really grab the way in which the planet system works to start warming the planet quite dramatically. Well, and one thing so, I, I learned from you guys is that the Arctic Ocean has never been ice-free in human history and perhaps for millions of years, and that the sun hitting the ice and snow, 85% of the energy is reflected back out into space. Once that ice starts melting, which it is dramatically now, 85% of that energy is absorbed into the dark water. Exactly right. And that also changes our weather patterns. So we're going to see weather patterns that are quite different, as we already are experiencing. Probably the one that is most shocking is that while the total precipitation over the entire U.S. continent has only gone up by a couple percent, we now have rainstorms that will drop 30 percent more rain than they had in the past. And as a consequence, you're going to get these flooding regions, but that's also going to create other regions that are deplete of rain, and they're going to be in drought. So it's hard then if you're in the general public to understand how could it be colder here or warmer there. It's all how that thing you just described about the open water in the Arctic Ocean changing the weather pattern southward, and we here in Maine are close enough to it that we're going to see it more dramatically. And um, it's about uh, 79 degrees outside, which is unheard of for this time of September. Um, it's something that we would expect back in August. Lakes here in Maine are freezing up um, about two weeks later than normal, and their ice is breaking up about two weeks so earlier. So the open season for even the lakes is now a month longer than it has been probably as recently as the 1980s. Well, Bob, I, I really appreciate your, your time, and it was uh, great to have an opportunity to, to uh, learn from you on, on the trip. And uh, um, I guess it's, this isn't a happy story, but it certainly you, you can't solve a problem until you recognize you've got one. And I, I think the, the, the question of whether or not we have one is, is rapidly uh, going away. And now the question is, what are we going to do about it? And I'm going to be talking to uh, Bill along about that. Thank you for what you've done, for the service you've provided, and uh, uh, keep the data uh, coming to us. Uh, facts uh, help in making these decisions. Indeed. That's exactly right, and thank you and for noting that it's time for planning and, and building adaptive capacity to be able to continue the beautiful life we have here in Maine 
as well from the rest of our country and our partners abroad. Thank you. Bob Carell, great to have you with us and uh, stay with us. We'll be uh, back in a couple of minutes on Inside Maine, and we're going to talk about what to do about the issue of sea level rise. Welcome back to Inside Maine. This is Angus King. We're talking about sea level rise, which is looking more and more likely, and it's going to have substantial impacts in Maine. With me now is Bill DeLong, who's with the Department of Homeland Security. He's based in Maine and uh, is charged with thinking about working uh, on the issue of how do we deal with climate change and particularly sea, sea level rise. Uh, Bill, uh, it's great to have you with us. And, and I, I heard uh, that you and I were both at the Jimmy Buffett concert uh, <laughs> about a month ago up in Bangor. Yeah. Yes, sir, we were. And, and and thinking about sea level rise, is that venue uh, immune to sea level rise? Right. I, I don't necessarily think it is. It's right on a tidal river it and uh, at a high tide, uh, I think. Well, well, let me ask you, I mean, are you operating from the assumption that sea level rise is inevitable and that now it's time to start planning what we're going to do about it? Yes, sir, we are. Uh, at this point, based on the science um, and everything we've learned from all the people, the really smart climate scientists that we've been working with, uh, that, yes, it's basically it's an inevitability. You're really just talking about how much and when. Well, I, I learned a, a term on the trip to Greenland, a sunny day flood. Sunny day flood. And yeah. apparently in Miami, on certain high tides, it's a sunny day. It's not raining. It's not a big storm, and there's uh, water in the streets. Yes, sir. And that kind of thing will start happening in Portland too. Not at the kind of um, uh, amounts of time, you know, as as often as it happens in Miami or places like Annapolis and in places in in the D.C. area where you are. Uh, but here in Portland too, right along Commercial Street, there will be times. Um, and so they call it Sunnydale flooding and nuisance flooding, those kind of things. But that'll start happening here in Portland, too. Well, I think a lot of people don't realize that most of the old port, or a good deal of it, below certainly below Commercial Street, is filled. Uh, it is. It was, it was not, that wasn't, the shoreline was, was further. Was, was at 4th Street. Right, exactly. And, and so, uh, well, what do you, what, what do you, what's your, What's your assumption for planning? Are you planning on uh, you're dealing uh, when you're talking to communities? Are you talking about a foot in the next 25 years, or what's your what are your assumptions? Um, well, so so we're using um, some planning and modeling that was done for us by the National Center for Computational Hydroscience and Engineering at Ole Miss, and they came to us in our contract um, by. By, by way of Argonne National Labs, uh, and they're thinking that um, at least a foot inside of 25 years. Um, and, um, and so we have done some modeling looking at um, just, just a bathtub look at, okay, what, is a, what, is, what does that much sea level rise mean to this area? And then what does it mean if you have that much sea level rise combined with a storm surge um, from a Sandy Lake um, storm, or even, or even a, uh, or even a, a nor'easter. But the, the modeling that we did was on a Sandy Lake storm, and we did it at today's um, sea level um, numbers, and uh, and then uh, we we forecast out uh, 25 and 50 years, I think. So, does a foot really change things in the Portland a area? A foot doesn't change a ton of things as long as we don't have um, as long as we don't have a storm surge. Um, 
but it, uh, it so it doesn't change too many things. Um, you know, there'll be a few places that are wetter more often, um, and you'll start to see where the stormwater systems um, might be impacted because, the, you know, that stormwater doesn't necessarily have a place to go to if, if the sea level is that much higher. Um, we're, we're finding that um, it takes a little bit more than that to, to make some, some, some significant impacts to the critical infrastructure um, that's clustered around Casco Bay. Uh, you know, the, all the fuels terminals um, are all obviously built right there um, on the shores of Casco Bay, and so they are especially vulnerable. Um, and then well, and I, I think of the railroad tracks that run through Scarborough Marsh. Ex that's exact. Another one, and there are other places where, looking at transportation uh, pieces of the of our transportation network, not just the rail, but other pieces of the of our of the um, of the transportation network. Um, there are places where there are especially low spots um, that will end up having significant problems, um, and we have to begin thinking about how those are going to get re-engineered. Or are they going to be abandoned in favor of of other transportation uh, routes that um, are are um, are higher up? Well, Bob Carell used a figure that that sort of shocked me. He he said his best prediction is six feet by the end of the century. I mean, that's you know that's eighty five years from now, eighty four years from now. That's that's <laughs> that's within contemplation, and six feet would change everything. I I take it. You're exactly correct, sir. And and his figures are. Along the lines of the same stuff that we were getting from the um, from from Ole Miss and from everybody else that we've talked to, I mean, we did we brought in the folks from the Climate Change Institute up at UMaine Orono, so Dr. Mayuski and and uh, Ivan Fernandez and the state climatologist um, up there to talk about this, and so their numbers are very similar. Uh, we're in line with you know we're very much in line with what Dr. Corral um, is seeing um, in in the in, you know the information that he's using. And isn't it true that the that uh, Casco Bay seems to be on a trajectory of its own? It's 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 warming up faster than the rest of the. I, I read somewhere where this Casco Bay is warming faster than 99% of the water of the rest of the world. That's exactly correct. That was based on a study by the Gulf of Maine Research Institute, and we saw it come out, and we were we were shocked. Um, and around that time was when we were asking about the storm surge modeling, and they had said, well, we couldn't really model a hurricane getting into the Gulf of Maine because the water's too cold. And we said, well, what about this study that talks about how much, it's, how much warmer the Gulf of Maine is going to be? And they said, oh, wait a minute. If we use those numbers, yes, we definitely, it, then the storms can track into the Gulf of Maine. And that's, we've always used, we've always relied on the Gulf of Maine to be our buffer. Um, to keep hurricanes away from us because they suck the energy out of, you know, the cold waters of the Gulf of Maine suck the energy out of those big tropical systems. And we don't necessarily, we can't necessarily um, depend on that in in the future. Well, as you as you're working on this and doing your planning, I know that you're working with communities and and groups and interested parties around uh, around Maine. Are you finding that people are taking this seriously? Uh, are people thinking about, holy smoke, what is this going to cost? Uh, what what what's the reaction? Um, well, we are, there. Are, I think most folks are taking it pretty seriously, um, and we have to. We're trying to be a little bit careful about not making it too scary, because if it's too scary, then people, are, you know, kind of kind of throw their hands up at it and say, well, what are we supposed to do if there's really nothing we can do? So we've worked really closely, both with our federal partners, D, the 
the EPA and NOAA because they're, you know, really smart and they're working really hard on this. But then bringing in main EMA because they have a piece to this, main DOT, the DEP, the, the cities here because they have a huge piece of this, and then non-governmental organizations too to say, okay, we have to work on this together. We all have a little piece to this, um, and maybe something that I can do that we can that I can do from my side as a you know from DHS, maybe some modeling or something like that comes in handy and maybe helps answers answer a problem um, that they couldn't solve because they didn't have the funding to do that modeling or things like that. And that's what we're really trying to do is say, okay, we're all working on it, and people are very um, engaged and want to work really hard on it. Um, and so they're, we have to find the places where we can work together as smartly as we possibly can um, to, to conserve the, re the precious resources and use them um, where we can. Well, uh, this is there's going to be a huge cost to this. I mean, aren't we talking about things like seawalls and and moving buildings and yeah. you know, rebuilding tracks and roads and all of that. I mean, we've we've got enough infrastructure problems as it is, but we're going to have to rebuild a lot of the coastal infrastructure all along both both coasts of the United States. That that's exactly correct, sir. Um, you know, you have to make the cost decision. Say, is it better to armor? You know, build a seawall. Is it better to retreat? You know, um, is it better to raise a building? Um, is it better to redesign a building so that there's flow through? On the lowest floor, so that you could just let the the lower floors get wet when they're going to get wet. Um, those those kind of things. But we so we have that we have the built infrastructure, and you have the electrical infrastructure that's also very much at at at, uh, at very low levels. Uh, and aside from anything talking about sea level rise, um, in the, when we're talking about electricity, um, the whole electrical um, network can be really significantly negatively impacted by um, the higher temperatures that are uh, being modeled and forecast as we continue down the down the path that we're on. Well, the uh, wires are, are uh, yeah, the, the, the heat right. is, a, is an additional Right, factor. they don't they don't transmit as well, and natural gas-fired power plants, which Maine depends an awful lot on, don't make electricity nearly as well. And then you have lots of folks who need or want more electricity for cooling, um, so you have this kind of triple whammy on the electrical system on, uh, on the grid, and we have to kind of figure out how that's going to all work um, and how those systems can be redesigned in kind of an economically feasible manner um, so that we can all have the power that we need when we want it. Um, but it's a, it's a huge challenge because we're talking, even with you know, upgrades that have been done, forward-thinking upgrades that have been done by CMP, we're still, it can be in, it might be in some fairly serious straits. Well, you're working on something called the Regional Resiliency Assessment Program, RRAP, I would call it, and and yeah. and this does involve all the all the parties, uh, and uh, you're you're looking on at at local consequences, regional consequences. Uh, uh, where uh, where do you, when do you think we're going to have to actually start getting serious and building things? I think I think we have to be thinking about it immediately. Um, the design for a lot of the built infrastructure, um, they're already thinking about what they're going to be doing in the next 20 and 30 and 40 years. And, and certainly anything new that's being built should take this into account. definitely has to be taken into account. Anything that's going to be upgraded or think about, oh, well, maybe that substation um, is going to get a whole, you know, get a complete rehab. Well, maybe that one gets armored or maybe that one gets moved, um, you know, further inland. 
uh, those kind of things, those kind of planning decisions have to be made almost immediately. And that's a lot of why the the work that we're doing now is to give the planners um, at the, our best guess at what what it's really going to look like um, based on everything that we've learned so far. And Argonne had been on contract to the DOD to do this downscale climate modeling for the entire United States and Alaska. And so we said, well, why would we redo that? And right. so they were they gave us they were giving all this data available as well as a tutorial which is hugely important because not all of us are as smart as Dr. Carell. Um, and so you have to no, none understand. Of us. Maybe none of us. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I've run into a couple of people that might give them a run for his money, but I know that I'm not one of them. But um, so we have to give people a, a tool that they can use. Say, okay, what do I do if I'm this planner and I'm in this town, or if I'm responsible for making these planning decisions as a part of my company or my organization? How do I use these tools? Because if it's too scary, if, it's, if you have to hire it out to somebody. It just—it's not going to work. We're not—we're going to run out of money spending it on consultants when we really need to be thinking about investing the money in well, uh, all the plans and getting it done. Well, Bill, I'm—I'm gl- I'm glad that we've got somebody in Maine who's thinking seriously about this and who's trying to plan ahead. I really appreciate the work that you're doing, and uh, look forward to continuing uh, to work with you. Uh, Maine's a pretty practical place. I think we're going to figure out how to deal with this, uh, but it's certainly going to be a challenge uh, over the next. Uh, well, over the next couple of generations anyway. Thanks very much, Bill, for joining us. Thank you for joining us on Inside Maine. Uh, Not such a happy topic, but an important one for us to start to grapple with. See you later.